Good morning. I'm so excited to be here this morning. I've got a lot of awesome stuff happening this morning. Um, if you don't know, you're dumb enough. Uh, most of you probably know because it's serious some of you are here, but I think we're baptizing like six people this morning. It's actually a bigger deal than that. Uh, we're baptizing six people this morning. Want you to know that's that's really cool because this morning six people are going to say, Man, I have decided to follow Jesus. Let me say that for yeah. you. Um, this is not just some bathtub where we get clean, uh, this is a very symbol of what Jesus has done for us this morning. As we go over to this water and we go all the way under, we're saying, Man, just like Jesus died, I'm dying, I'm burying the old man. And as they come up out of that, they're saying, Just as Jesus was resurrected, I am now walking in that newness of life. That's what we're saying for you this morning. Yeah. That is an amazing thing. Yes. Amen. 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 That's good, right? I think it's good anyway. I've been told it's good once or twice. Um, even greater than that, um, something amazing happened this week. I'm going to embarrass them for just a second. Um, you don't have to stand up or anything, but you can. That would be cool if you feel comfortable. But, um, I got a phone call Monday night. This is amazing. Uh, I got a phone call Monday night from Jacob. And uh, he was like, hey, I just got to tell you something. Um, Junior and his daughter just got saved. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, uh, yet, again, yet again, we golf clapped the miraculous word of God. Um, no, they were dead spiritually. You get that, right? Spiritually, they were dead. They had no claim to God. They were, they were not going to heaven when they left this place. And then through what Jesus did on Monday night, they were transferred from death to that's an amazing thing, right? Amen. Did you remember, like, for some of you that have been there, like, isn't that an amazing thing? You want to celebrate that. You want to celebrate. You, you, you know how that happened? His co-worker invited him to a barbecue. And there, there happened to be his, his preacher, maybe, pastor there, and... And they started talking about that about a barbecue. They started talking about the saving work of Jesus, and then that's how it happened, right? That's right. It was like, man, I, I want that. Amen. And then on Monday night, he comes. That's a big deal. That's, that's an amazing thing. And Jacob will, will shout the house down because Jacob's been praying for that for like a year now. Um, and that's, yeah. that's amazing. And I just want you to know, like, that didn't have to happen. Here. That's awesome. For but man, God is looking for you. God will find you. And he's hunting you down because he came to this place because he loves you and he wants to be with you. And he can even find you at a barbecue. And what I want to say to those of you who know Jesus is, man, your friends and your family and those people around you, if they won't come to church with you, just get them to your house. Get them to your house and talk about Jesus. And see what God does. Man, that's, that's awesome. I'm so thankful for people that, that, that care about people enough just to say, man, I, I care about your eternity. And I want to invest in that because I want to see God do something. Because I, I want to go to heaven, but I want you to go with me. Isn't that what we're talking about? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And uh, I just want to celebrate that uh, with you guys. That's awesome. Um, it's awesome getting that call Monday. I, I think I told 14 or 15 people just uh, after Jake got home me. Um, all that said this morning, uh, we're going to jump into the Word of God. So I invite you to uh, open to Philippians 2. If you have your Bible with you, if you don't have your Bible with you, I'll read it. But it's awesome if you got it. <laughs> it's on your phone. And you do that. That's cool too. Um, but man, this morning, um, I know last week I said together is over, right? I was like, the series we're doing, this is last week, together and done. 
And then all week I've been praying, what are we going to do? Uh, where are we going to be? And uh, even up to last night, I was kind of, God, where, where are we going to go with this? What are we going to do next? Are we gonna... And he's like, well, you're not going to do next because you haven't done last yet. So um, this morning we're going to be back in um, together. And I think this is the last one, but as you know, stuff changes sometimes. Um, and we're going to be in Philippians 2. Um, for those of you who've not been around, um, Together is just a series about church unity. Well, just simple. Um, it, it's a series about church unity. Jesus actually talked a whole lot about unity in the church before he died on the cross. We see Jesus actually pray a prayer in the garden in one of the Gospels. And one of the things he's talking about is, God, make them one. Make them one just like me and you are one. Put, put them together. See, church unity is a big deal. That's why it was on the mind of Jesus even before he went to the cross. Moments when he could have been thinking about anything else or saying anything else to God. He was saying, hey, this church that I'm about to leave behind, I want you to make them one. So Jesus knew something about the church that we sometimes forget about the church. And it's we cannot do it alone. Amen? Well, we can't do it alone. And that means this, this building full of people, we can't do it alone. You individually can't do it alone. See, we were built to be something bigger. We are the body of Christ. And if we could just get on board with that, if we could just get on board with that one little thing, if we could all just get together and kind of shoot for the same goal, then we could see not only this building full of people change, but we could see that community out there change, and we could see Knoxville change, we could see the world change. See, the church is a big, massive giant, and God's just waiting for it to do what He's always called it to do. But to do that, we have to be together. And this week, we're going to just continue that. I just want to say as a disclaimer first before we do anything else. There's no trouble going on that I know about anyway. Nobody's come. I'm not mad at anybody. Um, I love you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Nobody's blowing up anybody's car in the parking lot, hopefully. Uh, if you went out and your tire's been flat, it's not hopefully anybody in here. Uh, I don't know of anything that's going on. Uh, from what I know, we love each other pretty well around here. But I do want to say this. God's been doing some amazing things in this place. Amen. Yep. The past few weeks have, have been amazing. Um, this At Bible school, we saw God save six people, which is amazing. This Monday, we saw God do the same thing on Monday night at somebody's house. God's doing the work. He's doing things that we've been praying for for a long, long time. And I just want to let you know on the flip side of that, Satan's not happy about it. He doesn't like when God's doing things. And if he can stop it with us, he can stop it. See, the truth is, the thing that kills ministry in the church quicker than anything else is fighting. Did you know that? The thing that kills what God's doing in the church quicker than anything else is fighting. See, God said about his disciples, they'll know that you're mine by how you love each other. The world knows we belong to Jesus by how we get along. And that's why this is so important. So this morning, we're going to be in Philippians 2. And uh, we're just going to talk about this, talk about this, how we get along, how we, how we interact, how we are together, this unity thing. It says in Philippians chapter 2, if then there is any encouragement, this word encouragement is just a word that means hope. Why would, why would Paul start out with, with this in chapter 2? If, there, if there's any hope, what he's talking about is not hope in each other or hope in ministry. He's talking about if there's any hope in Jesus. Paul certainly is a man who knows that there's hope in Jesus. Paul is a man who was a persecutor of the church. Paul is a man who was known even among the church as someone who would drag you to jail or even possibly kill you because of your faith in Jesus. 
And then Jesus showed up in an amazing way on the Damascus Road. Read Acts. He showed up in an amazing way on the Damascus Road. The resurrected Savior actually showed up on a road trip Paul was having. And, and, and Paul saw Jesus. And in that moment, it changed everything about that man. Do you get that? Like he saw the resurrected Savior, and he wasn't like, okay, I'll go to church. He wasn't like, okay, I'll sing some songs. Okay, I'll, I'll read the Bible. It changed everything about that man. And he became a man that wasn't known for persecuting the church, but actually became one of the most church-building men that have ever lived on the planet. Paul was the original church planner. He, he was going around to all these different books that we see in the New Testament. He was planting churches. And he was doing things because Jesus changed his life in the moment that he saw the resurrected Savior. Surely Paul is a man who knew about hope. But he starts off this, this letter to the church at Philippi, a group of people much like you and me, this church. He starts off talking to the church. He says, if there is any hope. Well, what a weird thing to say for a man who obviously knows hope. He goes on, he says, if, if there's any hope or encouragement in Christ, he, he says, if any consolation of love. Again, another if statement, if there's any consolation of love. If you think about consoling someone, what you're trying to do is ease their pain or affliction. If one of your friends is <coughs> suffering, if one of your friends is hurting, what, what you try to do is you, you go and console them, comfort them. He's saying if there's any comfort, basically... In, in Jesus. Truly this man who's been stoned over and over again for his faith in Jesus knows that there's comfort in Jesus. Surely this man who's been in jail over and over and over again for his faith in Jesus knows there's comfort in Jesus. Knows that the pain is a little easier with Jesus. Knows that, man, there's freedom from affliction in Jesus. Surely this man knows this. So why does he write this to the church? If there's any encouragement, if there's any consolation of love, he goes on, he says, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any actual, true relationship with God, is what he's saying. This man's been changed from a persecutor of the church to a church planner. He's, he's been changed from a man who was, was, was a Jewish man, a man who was very religious, to a man who wrote most of the theology in the New Testament, most of all we believe. Surely he knows there is a real relationship with God. Well, so why does he ask this? He says, if any affection Affection is just a word meaning love, if there's any love in God. And then he says if there's any mercy. Now mercy is, a, is an amazing word to me. Mercy is to forgive someone. Isn't that cool? But it's to forgive someone that you have the ability and the right to punish. That's what real mercy is. I have the power to punish you. I have the right to punish you, but I choose to not punish you. I choose to forgive you. That's what he's saying. If there's, any, if there's any forgiveness in God. Truly a man who persecuted the church but is now like the leader of the church. Surely this man knows there is mercy in Jesus. So why is he asking these questions? See, this leaves us with a, with a mystery tonight. Either Paul has lost his faith or, or he's trying to tell us something. See, the truth is, all of these things are true, aren't they? If you're a person that has experienced the love of Jesus, you know there, there's a real relationship with God, surely. You know, surely there's hope in Jesus that this is not all there is. This is not heaven for us. Surely you know that. Surely we know that there is love in Jesus. If you don't know there's love in Jesus, you probably don't know love Jesus. Surely we know there's mercy in Jesus. If you don't know there's mercy in Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus. So why is Paul asking this to the church? 
See, the truth of it is, man, this was written for the church of Philippi, but this morning Paul is asking us these same questions. If there's anything real and valuable in Jesus, if there's anything real about this religion that we have, if there's anything real about this relationship with God that you say you have, listen to what he says. He says, fulfill or complete my joy by doing these things. What Paul is asking here is not a question of, I have lost my faith, please put me in. What he's saying to the church, a group of people like us, is if we really believe these things, if, if this is a real thing, if there's really anything, any substance to this Christianity, then this is what it should look like. And then he starts listing off these things. See, what I want to say to us in this moment is when I list these things, the first things we know for a fact, the second thing some of us have never seen inside the context of the And what Paul is saying here is if we are the real church of Jesus, this is what it should look like. If there's anything to this faith we claim to have, this is what the church should look like. If there's anything to this relationship with Jesus, if Jesus is really even who he says he is, this is what the church should look like, is what he's saying. He says, fulfill my joy or complete my joy by thinking the same way. Now, what does he mean by that? That's, that's a weird thought because we don't all think the same way, do we? I have a weird brain. People laugh at me because I say just crazy things. And that's how my brain works. I don't even think about it. It just out. Um, but it also works really well up here because I'm good with analogies sometimes. So he's not talking about we all have to think the exact same thoughts. What he's saying is we should be in agreement in the church. If there's anything to this Jesus that we say, we serve, surely the church should be a place that we find agreement. Not we all have to think the exact same thing about everything, but man, we should be able to get along, right? And see, the truth is, it doesn't matter if you like the same music as I do. It doesn't matter in this guarantee of things, does it? We should be able to get along. See, the truth of it is, even multi-denomination things, if you think about it, like, like you think about um, different denominations of churches, as long as we line up on two things, that's really it, right? As long as we realize, man, that Jesus is our Savior, that you have to come to the knowledge of Jesus to go to heaven. It's not about good works. It's not about good things. It's about there's, there's a God who loved us enough to come down here and die for us and forgive us for sins. If we, if we can get along on that, truly we can, we can overlook some things, right? Well, why fight? That's the important thing. And if, and if we can get along on the fact that, man, we're baptized not in the name of Brad or Overflow or whatever church down the road, but we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we, if we can get along on those things, surely we can all get along, right? That's what he's saying to the church. I mean, we should be able to agree. We should be able to get along. We should be able to communicate. See, we talked about last week how there's diversity in the church, and God actually built the church that way, how we're part of we're one body, we have many parts. See, the truth is, some of you guys are hands, and some of you guys are feet. Some of you guys are artistic. You're like the best at drawing and thinking and seeing, and some of you guys can't draw a stick man. And that's okay because God built the church that way. But what that means is some of you guys are really awesome music and some of you guys, nobody wants to hear you music. And God built the church that way. We're built with many different talents and abilities and things, but the truth of it is we're all meant to get along. See, the church is powerful in its diversity because we have continuity in the blood of Jesus. And that's, that's what he's saying just here again in Philippians. He's saying, hey, we should all be able to get along if there's really anything to this Jesus thing. It goes on. I'll keep going for you. 
He says we should have the same love. And if there's really anything to this Jesus thing, we should have the same love. Now we could look at this two ways. We could say that means love between me and you, that like you should love me just as much as I love you. We could say that. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Though. I think what it's talking about here is having a deeper love. See, the truth of it is, if you hit me and I hit you, that could mean the same thing right here if we go about having the same love for each other. But I think what he's saying here is we should have a love that surpasses just what our brains say, and we should have a love that comes from Jesus, that, that we should have the same love for each other as Jesus has for us. See, the truth of it is, when Jesus looks at people, he doesn't see their scars and their history and their past and their failures and their mistakes and the stupid things they think and sometimes the stupid things they say. He doesn't see annoying or weird or smelly. He doesn't see any of that. What he sees is somebody who's worth something, somebody who's valuable. See, the truth of it is, we have to get to the point where we realize value doesn't come from us getting us being alive. Value comes from the cross. Amen. It's, it's Jesus who puts the price tag on you. Jesus says what you're worth. Jesus says that you're valuable. And see what's truth about that is, in the church we have to come to the place where we can just get along and we can love each other based on not each other, but based on Jesus. See, the truth is, I don't have to agree with everything you do, but if Jesus loves you, I should love you because Jesus loves you and Jesus loves everybody. Amen? Amen? See, if there's anything to this Jesus thing, if there's anything to this, this God coming and saving and loving despite of our differences and our failures, if there's anything to that, why does it make sense for the church to dislike people based on who they are? Jesus died for everyone. You get that, right? Jesus died for everybody, and Jesus loves everybody. Why do you get the pictures? Oh, I don't love them because they do this. Well, Jesus did, and I didn't know you were greater than them. Oh, I don't love them because they say this. Oh, well, Jesus did, and I didn't know you were greater than them. See, the truth of it is, Jesus gives value, and Jesus said, For God so loved the world. For God loved the world, not religious people. Not people like us, that dress like us, and sound like us, and hear like us, and sing like us. God so loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son. He gave up the greatest thing that He had for them, so that nobody would perish, but everybody would have everlasting life. So why do we get to choose? Oh, I don't love them because they do this. Oh, God hates them because they do this. No, didn't. That's not what my Bible says. You, you must read the wrong Bible. My Bible says God loves. And the truth of it is, man, the church should reflect that, shouldn't it? That's what Paul said. Go on. He says that we should share the same feelings. That's a weird one. Share the same feelings. I don't want to share the same feelings with some of you guys. Some of you guys are way too happy in the morning. I don't want to be. It's hard for me to love you in the morning. I'm trying to practice what Paul's saying. But I just want to go back to bed. And you're smiling. It's weird. Should not be happy before 12. I work at school. I know. Um... I don't think that's what he's necessarily talking about. Feelings. Um, it's two words. Uh, it's two different meanings. One is emotional status. That we should share the same emotional status. Let me, let me just read it to you from somewhere else in the Bible. This is um, last week when we were um, reading 1 Corinthians. That it? We should hurt when each other are hurting. 
that, that we should celebrate each other celebrate. We should be joyful and someone in the church is joyful that we should share in, in the same emotional status. And see, that's, that's weird because there's a lot of people in the church, right? And most of us, uh, man, we go in and out so fast, we don't know who's joyful, we don't know who's sad, we don't know. But if there's anything to this Jesus thing, what, what, what Paul says is we should share in the same emotional status as those around us. And I just want you to know, you'll never do that if you never invest in each other's lives. See, in Acts 2, if you, if you read Acts 2, you see that the church, they basically like were always together. They were besties. They were, they were always together. And that didn't mean like they were always together in a building like this, hearing somebody talk and somebody sing. That's not what that meant. But it meant they spent life together. And then Jesus linked up these people, and when Jesus linked up these people, they invested in each other's lives. They got to know each other. See, the truth of it is, you have family that when they're happy, you're really happy, right? There's people that are close enough to you that when they get that promotion at work, man, you're just as excited as they are. Right? There's people that are close enough to you that when their heart's breaking, for whatever reason, your heart breaks and you're crying. You don't even know why. You're just like, they're sad and I'm sad because you're sad. Right? They don't have to tell you what's wrong. They just, they're crying and you're, you're doing the deal. But the truth of it is, man, the reason you do that is because you're so close. You love each other. You know each other. You're invested in each other. You're involved in each other's lives. And when that happens, then we can share those emotional statuses, right? Now, see, the, the, the weird thing is, is, here it seems like what Paul is saying is that if there's anything to this Jesus thing, the church should be the same way. Isn't that crazy? Because the truth of it is, man, there are people in this building some of you guys don't, don't even know. And we're not that big yet. There's some people we've, we've never even spoken to. And we're not that big yet. But what Paul seems to be saying here is that the church should be invested in each other's lives in such a way that when they're sad, we're sad. And if there's anything to this Jesus thing, what he's saying is I mean, we actually have to get to know each other and love each other and, and participate in life together. Maybe you don't go over to your house every single night, every single week, because maybe they like the rest. But but what it means is, man, we, we love each other and, and we spend time together. And because of that, we can we can share the same emotional status. That we should invest in each other enough that man, we hurt, we hurt. That's the picture of the church. That's why Jesus writes things like. They will know each. They will know your mind about how much you love each other, not how much you love me. Isn't that crazy? Jesus did not say they will know how much in your mind about how much you love me. We try to live Christianity on our own. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna pray. Those are great things. Do those things. But if you want to show the world that there's something different about the church, we we do that not by spewing scripture at them. We're praying really loud when we eat dinner. We, we do that by how we love each other. Because people want community. People want to feel like they belong. People want to feel like somebody cares about them. The whole, it's, our world is the saddest place right now. wasn't planning on saying this. Because everybody on the planet seems to feel unloved. That's why you watch the news and you see people saying things that you hate to see come across the screen. And the truth of it is, valid or not, the whole world feels unloved and they're all looking for somebody to love them and the church has so much opportunity right now to step up into that moment and to fill a gap that, man, is hurting people. That's why Jesus writes things like, they'll know your mind by how much you love 
each other because people want to step into that. What did the disciples do with Jesus? They left everything and they walked around with him for years. Not visiting once a week, but they walked around with him. They got to know each other. People from different trades. There was tax collectors and fishermen, probably not best friends. But they got to be that way through Jesus. And that's the vision of the church. This is we should share in each other's emotional status. This is and we should focus on one goal. Now we should focus on a bunch of different goals, or we should use the shotgun approach to church and just try to get a little bit of everything. And you pull your way, and I pull my way. And we're going to do this thing, and we should focus on 47 different ministries. And my flower ministry is more important than your book buying ministry. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the church should have one goal. It should be united actually in the goal. And I'll just be honest. Jesus told us what that goal was before he left his plan. There's one goal for the church. The church's goal is not to have the biggest buildings. Although some of those are great. That's amazing. And you can get a whole lot of people in to hear the gospel. It's very cool. That's not the goal. It's not, man, the church would have the best band in the world. That's great. Have good music. Maybe somebody will come in and they'll hear that and they'll like that and they'll stick there to hear the gospel. But the goal is not the music. The goal is the gospel. See, the truth is, there's only one goal for the church. It manifests itself in a lot of different tools, but there's one goal around here, and it's pretty simple. It's that those that are lost will be found. If we do any ministry outside of that goal, I'll cut it off. That's the goal. Because it's a waste of time, a waste of resources. The goal is one thing, that those that are lost will be found, and those that are far will be near. That's the goal. That's the goal of the church. And he says we should have one goal. See, the truth of it is the problem comes when we have too many goals and we think that, you know, this goal is more important than this goal. We're going to have the biggest, nicest floor ever. It's great. But what did you get to Jesus from that? One goal. And the thought comes from when we take our eyes off that goal. He says if there's anything to this Jesus thing, the church should be about one thing. And then he says in three, do nothing out of rivalry. If you have a rival and somebody you compete against, right? So rivalry is just a word saying don't do anything out of competition. But this is not a competition. It's not me versus you. It's us together. The church is not a me thing. Me should not be the vocabulary word in the church. I should not be a vocabulary word in the church. We're not allowed to say those things. It's us and we. It's a team sport. What he's saying here is, man, it's not, it's not a competition. It's not my ministry against your ministry. How, how, many, how does the world look at churches because it's their church against our church? We even view it that way sometimes, don't we? No, man, I'm not going to invite somebody to this thing because they might like it and they might say, well, amen. But they found somewhere. The truth of it is, man, does it matter? If, if the goal is the same, does it matter where you meet the goal? I don't care. I love you guys, but if you're happier somewhere else, go somewhere else and be close to God. Right. Yeah. Because the goal is one thing. The goal is that you, you come to know Jesus and then you get real, 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 real close. It's not a competition here. So there shouldn't be a competition anywhere. And that's, that's what he's saying here is, man, there shouldn't be competition in the church. It's not my ministry against your ministry or my abilities against your abilities. It's, it's not of that thing. It's one goal. He says, do nothing out of rivalry, and then he says, do nothing uh, out of conceit. I can't even find it, but I know it's it. <laughs> uh, or conceit. 
know somebody that's conceited, they are arrogant. It's about them. It's a pride thing. Conceit's just a base word of that. And the base what it means is pride. And what he's saying here is don't do anything out of pride. Don't minister just because it makes you look good. There's no, there's no reason to get up here on stage and dance around and try to look good. Because I guarantee you, given enough time, they can find somebody better. It's not about you. It's not about my ministry or my thing or my little project or my chair. It's not about that. We're not doing anything out of pride around here. And if there's anything to this Jesus thing, the truth is, man, the church shouldn't even begin to look that way. If you realize who Jesus is, if you get a clear snapshot of Jesus, you can't be prideful because you realize he's way, way up there and you're not. He's saying if there's anything to this Jesus thing, man, we can't, we cannot attack ministry with pride. And he says this, this is weird. Most of us are not going to like this. this is, but in humility, humility is a word that means thinking less of yourself. And this is not like a degrading yourself or I'm beating up on myself. But it just means that I, that I don't think that I'm such a big deal. And he says, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. This is not, hey, I, I'm really bad at this thing, or I just can't do this thing, or I'm not equipped to do this thing. This is more of an idea of, it's not, it doesn't matter if I'm first or not. You, you be first. Actually, you be, you be second. You be in here. You be third. I'm going to be in the back. It's not about me. That's, that's what he's saying in the church. Man. It cannot be about us. It has to be about others first and us last in the church. If there's anything to this, Jesus thinks that's what he did. He says, don't do any, anything out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. And he says, for everyone should look out for not only his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is not wishing bad on yourself, it's wishing good on other people. I want to improve my life, but I want to take you with me. So why does Paul start out with this? Why is this a big deal? It's amazing because it's almost prophetic, isn't it? Because if you listen, if we actually pretend to care about what the world says, this is what they're saying about us, isn't it? Man, if there's anything to that Jesus thing, this is what the church should look like. See, the world knows a secret that some of us just don't get. Jesus should change us. If we're going to be Jesus' people, we cannot continue to be our people. If we're, if, we're going to be about, if we're going to be about Jesus, we cannot be about ourselves. See, the world can look at that and tell you that. You know why the world's fed up with church? Because they see a church that isn't what they, what they think it should be. They know what we should look like. We don't. See, the truth of it is, man, uh, the church is defined by what today? Splitting, fighting. That's why there's new something everywhere on the planet. Because there used to be an old something, and for a good reason or a bad reason, somebody left and started their own thing, and somebody left and started their own thing. I'm not saying it always works out bad. We left and started our own thing. But the truth of it is, I can call the guy that's the pastor of the church we left from today, and I can talk to him on the phone. Actually, I texted the guy that was the pastor that I left the other day, and I just said, hey man, I love you, and I thank you for your influence in my life. You know what he said back? Love you, and thank you for the ministry that you're doing. You know why? Because it's not about me, it's not about him, it's not about church, it's not about name, it's not about things, it's not about ministry, it's not about my goals or my ambitions, it's about people getting to Jesus. And we can do that here, we can do that there, we can do that everywhere, but we can't do that if we don't get along. No. People are burnt out of the church because they're so sick of seeing people that say God loves and forgives, judging and knocking down. God is a builder, not a destroyer. 
There's a couple times he wipes this thing out. There was one at the flood, and there's one at the end. And every other time you see God, he's trying to get people where he is. So why is the church not the same way? And the world looks at that. They say it doesn't make sense. That's, what, that's why he's saying this. He says, if there's anything to this Jesus thing, be the church that God meant for you to be. If there's anything to this religion that you say you have, act like Jesus wants you to act. See, the truth of it is, our feelings and our thoughts and our ambitions and our things, they get in the way. They don't matter in the face of the Word of God. This trumps everything. I'm mad at them. What's the Word of God say about that? Man, they did this thing. What's the Word of God say about that? They live this way. What's the Word of God say about that? Is it you that judges? Is it you that condemns? I thought that was God's job. Your job is to love. Jesus says, they'll know your mind by how you love each other. And that's what the world's waiting on from the church. And when the church gets there, if the church ever gets there, man, we'll see the world start doing something. We'll see people starting to come to know Jesus. We'll see people's lives change. We'll see people step into faith. Did you know that? Or we can continue to be a club where we say, we're going to surround ourselves with people who look like us, dress like us, act like us. And if they don't, we're kicking them out. That's why Paul writes this, this church at Philippi, this church that, who knows, maybe had become arrogant. Who knows, maybe had been saved long enough that they were like, those people aren't like us, they can't come in. Who knows, maybe had been saved long enough that they decided, that guy that sits back here in the third row, he may be mad and never speaking to anyone. Paul said, hey, if you really actually believe anything about this Jesus, you say you believe a long time. God called us to be followers of Jesus. Not the judging hand of Jesus. <coughs> and see, the truth of it is, we will never be effective alone. We will never be effective by ourselves. We'll never be effective in our attitudes and our emotions. We'll never be effective in our spitefulness and our backbiting. We'll never be effective if we're going to continue to be sharks with blood in the water. We'll never be effective that way. We'll be effective when we link up arms and we decide, man, God loved us in our faults, so we're going to love each other in our faults, and we're going to get along because there's one goal. And that goal is people come to know Jesus. And I want to be part of that goal. When you, when you love to be the guy that invited somebody over to your house this week and they got saved in your yard, when you love to be that guy? Wouldn't do it. That's a coworker I've never talked to. Nobody ever talks to him. He's so weird. Well, buy him your house. Doesn't just have to be your friends. It can be your friends, but doesn't just have to be. Be the church. That's why he says, man, if there's anything to this thing, you want me to act like it. Jesus. And that leaves us with what? How? See, the truth of it is, man, some of us need to, and probably all of us should, study Philippians chapter 2, those first 6 7 verses. We should study that every day this week, and we should be thinking, God, what do you want to pour into me on this part this week? Because I know I have a problem with that. God, what do you say to me on this thing? Because I want to give that up to you. Not, hey, that's my feelings, that's my thoughts, that's my feelings. But the truth of it is, man, how do we get there? And then he shares it. He says, if you want to do that, here's how. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Here's how. You, you want to be the church. You want, you want to see revival in the nation. You want to see God do something. You want to quit just praying for stuff and then like actually step into what God wants to do because he's just waiting on us. Here's how. Make your attitude. Beat your attitude into submission. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Attitude is just what you think about stuff. It's your thoughts and your feelings. 
Make your thoughts and your feelings those of Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. Make thoughts and your feelings those of Christ Jesus. See, the first step in this is to put down your thoughts and your feelings. Not tax Jesus' thoughts and feelings into mine or mesh Jesus' thoughts and feelings with mine. What we have to do is the church has come to the point where it matters what Jesus feels about something more than how we feel about something. Amen? Like, let's just say that together. Amen. Amen. Your thoughts and feelings don't matter over what God says, do they? If you think they do, man, you're in the wrong spot. You need to submit to God. You can't do anything to you there. What it means is my, my thoughts about something, I have to lay those down. My preconceived notions about something, I have to lay those down. It doesn't matter what I think about theology if the Bible tells me that I'm wrong on it. You know that? It doesn't matter what your opinion of the character of God is if the Bible proves to you that you're wrong. This actually is the only thing that matters. Your thoughts and feelings will pass away with your body. But this word will stand forever. The whole world's going to burn up. The, even the elements, itself, the things that make up the building blocks of the whole world, they're going to burn up, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And if that's true, man, this is what matters. Your opinion doesn't. Amen? Amen. And what it's saying here is, man, we have to lay down our preconceived thoughts and notions, and we have to come to the word of God, because if we would all do that, we wouldn't get along. I don't believe that. Well, what's the word of God say? Well, okay. If the Word of God says that I have changed my opinion, we can all get along around that, right? And our feelings, man, I, I'm, I'm angry or mad, I'm sad or whatever. It doesn't matter in the context of this, does it? Your feelings don't matter. It's the Word of God that matters. I'm so mad. What's the Word of God say that you have to respond to that in? Well, that's what matters. I just want to punch him. Well, what's Jesus say? Turn the cheek, right? You can't do that. If we just come to this, we lay down our thoughts and our feelings and make our attitude that of Christ Jesus. See, the reason most of us will never get a step closer to being anything like Jesus is because your thoughts matter too much to you to submit to God's thoughts. And your feelings matter too much to you to submit to God's feelings. <coughs> See, the truth of it is, the word of the Lord is the only thing that matters. We're going to burn up. This body's going to go in a hole in the ground. It's going to be gone. Or I'm going to go up into heaven and this vessel right here is just going to do whatever it does. It doesn't really matter. But it's going to stay here. And I'm going to go there. And, and I want to be where the word of the Lord lasts forever. I don't want to be on the other option. So if it doesn't matter eternally, it doesn't matter now. If you have to get along in heaven, you've got to get along here. Jesus is probably in his ultimate sense of humor to seek you together if you don't I hate that guy. Great. There's your seat. There's his seat. Go on. You have eternity to work it out. <laughs> Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. My thoughts and my feelings have to be Jesus. Well, how do we do that? It says, here's how Jesus thought. He existed in the form of God. That is amazing. Jesus existed in the form of God. He was not some man. Why else would we be talking about a carpenter 2,000 years later? There are no carpenters that made it in the history book except for Jesus. You know that? There's no chair builders that made it in the history book except for Jesus. There's one reason we're talking about that name and that name alone for all eternity. And it's because, man, he, he, he is God in the flesh. All the essence of God, all the power of God, all the, all the mercy of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the creativity of God, that was all packed in one man, and his name was Jesus. He was not handicapped God, he was God in the flesh. If Jesus wanted to say, hey, I'm going to create some stars right now, when he was a baby laying in the manger, you know what Jesus could have done? That, because he was God in the flesh. 
He was not limited by the flesh. It says he existed in the very form of God. But he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. In some Bibles it says grasp, clung to, hold on to. It's this word of selfishness. You know that Jesus could have done anything he wanted to when he was on this planet, but you know what he did? He was born as a baby. The guy who breathed out the stars. Read, read Colossians. Everything was created through him, by him, and for him. The active voice in creation, the one who said, let there be life. That was the voice of Jesus. And as a baby lion in a manger... He could have done anything he wanted to. Could have called down fire from heaven, could have created stars. He was not handicapped or limited. He was God in the flesh. But he didn't use that selfishly. If God wanted to just show up and prove he was God, he could have done it a million different ways. Why did he choose to be a carpenter and to live a perfect, sinless life and stub his toe sometimes and hit his hand with a hammer sometimes and actually experience pain? Why did he choose to do that? Because he wasn't selfish. And he could have showed up to help us believe in God. We didn't need to believe in God. There were all kinds of people who believed in God. We needed to say But Jesus showed up to be exactly what he came to be. And he didn't use the power of God just to get people, to draw people in. This is instead he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Not the essence of God, but he emptied himself of his self. He laid down his wants and ambitions. Jesus was in the flesh. You don't think he wanted to do some stuff. But you know what he did? He devoted his life to ministry. He didn't, he didn't worry around getting the best pension. Like that wasn't the deal. He didn't worry around trying to build a family. That wasn't the deal. He came with one mission and one purpose, and he laid down everything else. He emptied himself of himself. If we want to be like God, we've got to do that. We've got to put his thoughts before our thoughts, his feelings before our feelings. We had to empty ourselves. And it says he assumed the form of a slave. That Jesus himself, who was in the highest position, came down to the very lowest position in servitude to man. He created man. He molded and formed man. And it says that we're, we were formed in our mother's womb in the Psalms, right? And Jesus had a, had a piece in that, a part in that. Yet he formed us, yet he served us. It's so weird. He stepped out of the highest seat and came to the lowest seat and served humanity. He became your slave. He came to serve you. And it says he took on the likeness of men. Another example of a holy God humbling himself. Why would, why would God put on flesh? What is man made of? Mud. If a God who dwells in inapproachable light, yet he puts on dirt and mud. He didn't come worrying about his appearance. This is, and when he, had, when he had come as a man in his external form inside, he's all God. He didn't empty himself of God. It says he humbled himself again. That yet again, Jesus crawls lower. He's a slave, but he crawls lower. And he says he become obedient to the point of death that God himself became obedient to the point of death. He came to save us. He came to be our slave. He came to serve us. And you know what we needed? We needed a Savior. So He became obedient to the point of death. God, who would never have to experience that. Even to death on the cross. The most horrible death that has ever been died on the entire planet was Jesus' death. He was beaten, mocked, spit upon, humiliated. 
and then nailed to a piece of wood. Can you imagine this coarse piece of wood on a ripped flesh back? Jesus did that for you, and he's hanging there, and you can't even recognize who he is. For you, he actually had nails, like not little bitty rookie nails, but like railroad stock looking things nailed through his hands and his feet for you. And then as he was hanging there for hours, it wasn't 15 minutes, people. He was hanging there for hours. He suffocated on his own blood for you. Jesus was murdered for you. See, what happens is Jesus was in the highest place and he came to the lowest place. The reason we don't act like this is because we're still so worried about what we want, right? But if we're going to follow Jesus, the pattern is not up, but it's down. I'm going to follow Jesus, so I'm going to take on this position, or I'm going to take on this thing, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to do this, I'm going, to, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to lift myself up, and I'm going to be the smartest, I'm going to pray the best. And I'm going to, but see, the pattern of it is, it's down, isn't it? The pattern of a follower of Jesus is not, I'm going to, 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 it's, Okay. I'm going to serve you. And if we're going to be the church that Jesus means for us to be, then we have to get on board with that. It's not about position in the church. Who cares? And if it was about position, we'd always be looking for somebody better, wouldn't we? It's not. It's not about power in the church. Nobody has power except for Jesus in the church. If anybody else does, it's called a failed church. It's not about your thoughts and your feelings in the church. It's about serving other people. You cannot do that from the seat of me. You can only do that from looking at and that's why he says, if there's anything to this thing we call the church, if there's anything to this religion you say you have, if there's anything to this Jesus thing, then as the church, we've got to climb down, not go up. We've got to be just like Jesus. See, Jesus came and he got on the lowest place. You know why he got on the lowest place? Because he had to get down really, 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 really low to get under you. You weren't just a little under God. You were way under the floor with God. And he dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and he finally got down under your pit and what he did on the cross was he got under you and he assumed a posture of servitude and then he lifted you up out of your pit. And the truth of it is, the only reason the church exists is not so we can sing songs. The only reason the church exists is not so you can hear somebody talk once a week. The only reason the church exists is so we can do the same thing. So that we can get down under other people and we can lift them up out of their pit. And the amazing thing about that is God invites you on that journey. God invites you on that journey. You, you can actually today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day be part of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And here's the invitation. Empty yourself of yourself. Lay down your thoughts 
It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what Jesus says. Your strange theology doesn't mean anything for him. This word is the only thing that's going to last forever. Empty yourself of yourself. Lay down your thoughts and lay down your feelings. Oh, I can't do that. I'm too good to sleep. Maybe Jesus can't use you then. Because Jesus can't use you until you're willing to go to the very depth. So when we're willing to go to the very depth, when we're willing to empty ourselves and climb down under other people, when we're willing to inconvenience ourselves for the good of other people, when we're willing to actually make our life less so we can put others first, when we're willing to do that, man, God can do a work in the church, and He can do a work in the world, and God invites us into that. And I still believe God does that. Our God is the God who saves. Amen. And somewhere along the line, we lost the passion to see it, and the passion to be involved in it. And I just want to say this morning, God invites you back into that. Psalm 84, and it says, man, I would rather be a, a door holder in the house of God than to live in the tents of the wicked. Is that your thoughts and your feelings this morning? Man, I would rather get up early and be here 30 minutes early just, just, just to do something in the house of God. I'd rather sleep in the house of God. I'd rather clean the toilets in the house of God than to be anywhere else. I'd rather park cars in the house of God than to be anywhere else. I'd rather invite people to the house of God than to do anything else. Man, I'd rather tell people about the story of Jesus than to be anywhere else. I'll be a servant to God because He became a servant to me. You think you're too good? The one in the highest seat went to the lowest seat. In our seats, we're, we're not really changing much. But he gave up a lot. And this morning, God invites you into that. And I just want to say, man, if we, if we want to see God do something in this city, this nation, this world, if we want revival like we're praying for, I mean, get down. Don't go up. Put yourself under people. Inconvenience yourself. You see what God does. Man, I want to get closer to God. Good. Inconvenience yourself for others. And you'll be closer to God. Go out of your way to love other people and you'll be closer to God. Go out of your way to, 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 to forgive those people that, that have no reason to be forgiven. Go out of your way to do that and see what God does in your life. If you want to be closer to God, do what God does. Lay down your thoughts and your feelings. Lay down your emotions and do what God says and God will change your life. And He will take other people with you. 